you, everyone. My name's Steve. For any of you that don't know me, I'm usually out there greeting, but they're letting me be up here today, so I'm excited about this. Um, hey, during high school and middle school was a very interesting time for me. Uh, when I was in high school, especially, I was part of what would be called the popular group. Any of you guys part of the popular group? Who was part of the non-popular? I was part of the popular group at school, but I would say I was the lowest denominator of the popular group. And why are you laughing? This is a, I've been doing therapy for years about this. No, but, but I really do. I, I always kind of felt like on the outside of that in-group. And, and things like people would go do stuff. I'd call on a Friday and be like, hey, then going on, oh yeah, we forgot to call you. Things like that. Or I'd hear that something went on. And I just really wasn't invited. And that, it, that was a real difficult time for me. My family was... Uh, no, I was usually home alone. My mom had moved across country. My dad worked every evening and I wanted to be wanted. And I wanted to not just be in the popular group. I wanted to be popular within that popular group, like the one that they would call, one that they would think about, but I wasn't. I was like an outsider. And maybe some of you have felt that way in your life as well, that you've kind of felt outside of what you wanna be inside. And sometimes that's church, you know? And the reason why this reality kind of popped into my head this week is because we're in Romans chapter four. And it just reminded me of how interesting those high school days were, wanting to be invited, wanting to be reached out to, wanting to be, feel like I really was wanted and was an important part of this group, but I just didn't. And so that stood out because what we've been looking at, and we'll look at this today and, and hopefully it kind of makes sense why I brought that up, is we've been looking at Romans, right? And we've been looking at Romans through the lens of Paul. And we've been considering this idea of finding unity in the midst of great diversity. And that was going on in the church at that time trying to see if the Roman hedonists, which has always been this site over here, you know, those Roman hedonists and the Jewish legalists can somehow come together in unity together in this new church in Christ that is being formed. And that's what they were fighting for. And in a lot of ways, it was trying to help those, which would be those Roman hedonists kind of that felt on the outside to feel on the inside and to get those religious legalists to open the door for them to come in. And that was a problem. That was a problem. That was a struggle. That two sides within this one church trying to come together, trying to figure this out. He started off in Romans chapter one, pointing out the, that Roman hedonist and how terrible they were in Romans one. But then right in Romans two, he says, but who are you, you legalist, to judge those when you're doing the same things? And he's been unpackaging that as we've been going. Coming to a head last week in chapter three, when Paul writes this idea that both the Roman hedonists and the Jewish legalists have all sinned, but now they're both in Christ. And this was the good news he talks about throughout the book of Romans, is that the good news is the free, unmerited, faithful love of God through Jesus for both the Jews and the Gentiles. And that's what this is all about. And that's what he's been talking about and unpacking over these first three chapters. Can this church, can we, right, create unity in the midst of this vast diversity? And instead of having it be us versus them, we focus on us. We focus on us. That's the goal. 
No one needs to feel like I did in high school when it comes to the kingdom of God. No one. You don't have to feel like you're on the outside. So as we move into Romans chapter four, Romans chapter four, Paul is gonna put kind of an explanation point on this of what he's been talking about in Romans one, two, and three. And the way he's gonna do that is he's gonna go way, way back. He's gonna go way back to Genesis and he's gonna invoke Abraham as an example of why we could be unified. As an example of faith instead of works. As an example of trusting instead of having to follow all these laws and rules and regulation. Now, I wanna just start with the end, okay? I wanna start with the end. I just wanna tell you right up front what my goal is to get to. And here's what I want us to get to. Here's what I want us to consider today. That being part of the family of God, being a recipient of the blessing of God is about simple belief, not hard work. And here's the reason for that. Because it's about trusting in a promise made by God. Because it's about trusting in a promise made by by God. And I think we all need to just let that sink in a little. Just first statement, let it sink in. Because I believe many of us, including myself, we still might struggle. We might struggle with still thinking that for me to be into God and God to be into me, and I'm in God, I need to do X, Y, Z. And so you still maybe feel like an outsider. You maybe still struggle with feeling like God really cares and loves because you struggle with X, Y, Z. (laughs) Or maybe you do other X, Y, Zs that you shouldn't do. And so to rest in this, to really trust in what Paul's gonna say here in Romans chapter four, I think we need to really think about and need to let just sink in. And I hope that as Paul appeals to Abraham, that maybe today some of us would see and feel a little different about what brings us into this kingdom, what helps us to become part of God's family. So how does it start off? How does Paul, what is he, how does he appeal to Abraham that maybe will begin to start that impact? Look at verse three in Romans chapter four. What does scripture say? Here's the deal. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed and it was accredited to him as righteousness. So what did Abraham believe about God? It just says that he believed God and it was accredited to him. What did he believe? Well, down in verse 18, he kind of starts telling us. He says, this is what he believed. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. You see, God had promised something to Abraham. He had promised that something would come through Abraham's descendants. Something very special would come through his descendants. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse three. You'll hear it here. I will make your name great is what God promises Abraham. And you will be a blessing. And it talks about it's gonna be through your descendants, you'll be a blessing. And how great is this blessing gonna be? And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was the promise, that through your descendants, Abraham, all peoples in the earth will be blessed by you. This is what's called the Abrahamic covenant. 
Now, covenant's kind of an interesting word we don't always use. I just, a couple weeks ago, I got to do two weddings in one week. You know, I love doing weddings. Because in a wedding, you talk about that you're making a covenant together, not a contract. Any of you guys remember your vows you made at your wedding? Did you say in your wedding, like, I'll love you if you love me? I'll treat you with tenderness if you treat me with tenderness, and I'll be faithful to you if you be faithful to me. Now, we might live that way, but never at a wedding have I heard those kind of vows, right? In a wedding, you're doing a one-sided promise. You're promising what you'll be, and it's representing this Abrahamic covenant, actually. It's actually representing this covenant made by God that you, through your descendants, Abraham, will be a blessing to all nations. That's what this is about. That was the promise to Abraham. Now, here's the catch. When Abraham got that promise, he was 75 years old. So at 75 years of age, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through your descendants, you will be a blessing to all people. Guess what the problem was? Abraham had no kids and he was 75 years old. Talk about trust. Talk about trusting. Okay, God, sure. And if you read the story, it's interesting some of the avenues he tries to follow, the, you know. So we're not going to go there today. But look at what it says in Romans 4, verse 19. Here's what he's talking about, this faith of Abraham. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Any of you guys feel that way? You know, if God came to me right now and said, like, Steve... Man, through your kids and not the ones you have, a new one. I'd go like, oh, no, 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 no. It's time out, right? And not only was his body dead, what about his wife? And that Sarah womb was also dead because they were like 100 years old. This is how 25 years later, God's still saying the promise is going to come through. He tried other means, you know, but the God's going to, I'm going to bless all people through your children's 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 children. I don't have any children. I'm a hundred. I'm basically dead. My wife's womb is dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. That's what's going on. That was way back in Genesis, right? And guess what? How does the story go? Sure enough, Sarah gets pregnant and has a baby named Isaac. And through Isaac comes a line year after year, generation of generation, who ultimately comes through the line of Isaac? Jesus Christ. That's what was being promised. In, Gen in, Gen in uh, uh, Galatians, it talked about the real seed that was being promised was the seed of Jesus, was actually Jesus. But it was gonna come through a certain line through Abraham and Sarah, through Isaac. And Jesus, the promised blessing comes through that. And as Paul points out in this chapter, this is the interesting part. Something's going on when this promise was made, which is important to you hedonistic Gentiles over here, right? You, you Gentile Romans, this is important for you to understand. It's important for you to understand too, that when that promise was made, it was made to Abraham before a couple things had happened. Number one, it was before Abraham was ever circumcised. You see, Abraham, the promise wasn't being circumcised. He gets circumcised later in light of the promise. 
I'm going to set your people apart now as mine, so go be circumcised. But what Paul points out here is that that promise of being a blessing to all nation was before he was ever circumcised. And guess what Paul says? That means that he's also the father to the uncircumcised. This was a big deal in this culture. They're not circumcised. Circumcision makes us in. This group was circumcised. These are uncircumcised. And Paul says that promise came before circumcision and it came before the law was given. It's not based on jumping through religious hoops. It's not based on following the law. It's based on a promise. It's pretty cool, huh? So he's trying to help them to begin to see each other differently through unpackaging this. So he's the father of both of them, the uncircumcised as well as the circumcised. And really, in a lot of ways, what Paul's needing to do is tear down your walls you've created, religious legalists. You guys have created these walls for people to jump through. Jesus went after you when he was here. He said, you're closing the door of the kingdom in people's faces, right? By saying, you're not this, you're not this, these people, you're not what you, you need to be more like this. And he's kind of saying, hey, no, God of yours, promise, promise to you, uncircumcised, as well as to you, circumcised. Look what verse 16 says, because he's tearing down this dividing wall. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. By faith, by trusting, simple trusting, not by circumcision and rule following, so that it may be by grace, this unmerited favor we already talked about, this love of God, this faithfulness of Jesus, and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. He is the father of y'all, the uncircumcised and the circumcised, the ones with the law and the ones without the law. The promise through Jesus was going to be for everyone. And this is the point of Paul's letter, especially this chapter. As he's gone through this, these grace, he's understanding, unpackaging this throughout one, two, and three, he then wants to appeal like this isn't anything new. What we talk about here on Sunday mornings is nothing new. What Paul was writing is nothing new. And so he goes back and appeals all the way back to Abraham. So to the Jewish believers, this is to help you realize that this promise doesn't come through your obedience, through observing the law or through getting circumcised, but it's by grace for you too. None of that stuff was required for the promise. As a matter of fact, those things just showed that you've walked in the promise. So you need to understand that and you need to open the door. When you come to understand, right, that this is, uh, it was before any of these things that you act makes you, that separates you, that makes you think you're so accepted, this promise came before that. So you need to open the door. You need to open, it's time to open the door and invite in those that you think are out. They are now part of the family as well. Even though for hundreds and hundreds of years, you kept them on the outside. And to the Roman Gentiles, to you that are now coming in, who have this hedonistic background, right? And you're trusting in Jesus, you are as much part of the family as they are. No need to feel like I did in high school. And you don't need to become like them either. Whew. You just need to come and accept. You see, the promised blessing made to Abraham was a rightness with God through grace, by faith. 
Grace, again, that unmerited favor, it's a free gift. That promise made to Abraham was this rightness with God through faith by grace or through grace by faith for all people, for the hedonistic Gentiles and for the legalistic Jews and everyone in between, just like you and me. That's what he's unpackaging. So what is their faith to be in? Right, so, so when he's talking about, this is an example, right? We have this example of Abraham. But Abraham's example was kind of interesting. It's a promise that you're gonna have a kid. So he had the kid. So we're looking back at the story. That's an old ancient story that they've been telling for years. And that, that obviously our faith isn't in that Abraham's gonna have a kid, you know. Our faith is in the promise itself. What's the promise itself? Like, how does Paul in this chapter kind of unpackage that promise? What is it that their faith is in? And in a sense, what can our, is our faith in? In the broadest term, like, what's our faith in? Well, I think what he says here in Romans chapter four is so beautiful. Let it, let it, think about this one. Look at, look at Romans four, verse four and five. Adam he talks about Abraham's faith. He says this, now the one who works wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. Any of you work here? Who works here? When you get your paycheck, do you look at that as a gift? It's usually like, why is this so small, right? I work way harder than this. You know, you usually don't get it and go like, thank you, I didn't deserve this, right? That's what he's just pointing out. If you work, your wage is not a gift, but it's an obligation. However, now this is us, this is them. To those who do not work, but trust God, and what do we trust God about? Who justifies the ungodly. Interesting, like who trusts that God justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteous. It's like sometimes we so personalize it when he's pointing out this big picture for those that trust that God justifies the ungodly. What a powerful message. We are called to just, I mean, to trust that God justifies the ungodly. What's justify means? Basically, just a simple thing. It's basically rendering innocent that God renders the ungodly innocent, accepted, loved, forgiven. He declares that to be true. He justifies us and he justifies the ungodly. We looked at that all according to Romans chapter three, right? And that includes you and me as individuals, yes. That's why we've tried to talk about that Romans, not just about this individual salvation with God. If you kind of look at it in the way Paul's saying it, Paul's trying to get our eyes out of ourselves and kind of trust that God doesn't just save me, he justifies the ungodly. He renders the ungodly innocent. He declares us accepted, you and you, us. What an amazing picture. Both the hedonist and the legalist and everyone in between, all people would be blessed through the promised seed of Abraham, Jesus. And who's outside that list? Hedonist? Who's outside that list for you? It might be those religious freaks, huh? that have done nothing but oppressed you all your lives. Told you you're not good enough, get out of the temple, extra, charge you extra for the dove when you go in, right? Jesus didn't like, right? Who's outside your list? 
It's those people, huh? Those evil people over there that just want to have fun all the time. Who's outside our lists? Oh man, we still got lists, don't we? Oh, we still love our lists. Now I want to remind you that this is a letter that was written to these people. How many of you get a letter and you stop at the first sentence and analyze it? I wonder what they mean by that. And you have like a three-page letter someone wrote to you. Don't you read it through? My wife watches movies like this and it drives me crazy. Like in first 10 minutes, she goes, who's that person? I go, honey, you know, I don't know. Like they just introduced the character. It's an hour and a half, hour and 45 minute movie and we're 15 minutes into it. If we knew already, it'd be a dumb movie. Like we really have these conversations. She wants to stop. Now, who's that person? We can't even read together. Oh goodness, reading's like impossible. In the beginning, beginning of what? Honey, I don't know, it's the first two words. We gotta stop it, let's read, like, right? So I don't think they got this letter from Paul and they're just breaking down Romans four. You know, it wasn't written like that, right? A matter of fact, some people believe that Phoebe that's mentioned in Romans 16 actually memorized this letter and took it to churches and acted it out. How cool would that be? Most people were illiterate, illiterate. You couldn't just read and stuff. It was different in the world back then. So Phoebe might've went to house churches and acted out this letter to, to Rome and to get them to understand the whole thing. They went, stop. whoa, 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 what's going on? Just keep reading. So that's what we're gonna do. Let's just keep reading. Let's think about this, this idea of all of us being part of this blessing. I mean, it started in Romans 3, last chapter, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus. Talk about making us think differently about people around us. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the promised gift of God, right? That was talked about through Abraham of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or Romans 10, verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See how Paul's trying to get us to think outside ourselves? This is not just about me and God. This is about us and God. Or Romans 11, verse 32, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on us all. And then I love what he says after this in Romans 11, 33. Oh, whew, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Whew, this is crazy. This is huge. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Man, not only is Paul showing us through this letter, right? The very heart of God more clearly through Christ than anything else and through this unity, through this together, through this y'all kind of all of us, not just me, but all of us. Is he showing us the very heart of God, but he's also helping this early church as he's trying to help us to do, to see that those that we determine are not like us are part of the promise as well. We're all welcome. And that's still hard. 
It's still hard. I probably find myself a little bit more over here, <laughs> right? E, you know. Yeah, it's still hard to not point fingers, to not look at others as not part of it. And he's painting a pretty clear picture that in Christ, we are better together as children of the promise. That's what he's getting us to this, in this chapter, children of the promise. Before circumcision, before the law, before all that, it was about a promise through his seed, through Isaiah, Isaac, which was gonna ultimately be through Jesus Christ, that all the world would be blessed. And so when Paul says that Abraham is the father of all, he's referring to the promise, right? That this promise is for everyone. And which in reality is saying what? That we are all God's children through the promise. That we are, we are now both Jews and Gentiles, part of the family of God. That could bring us together. That could help us to stop looking at each other as different and not accepted and looking at each other together and accepted. Look what he says in Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. He gives life to the dead and he calls into being things that aren't. Man, that's one of those statements I just sit there and go, yeah, have no idea how, how far that reaches. But I'm just gonna sit on it, right? He brings things back from the dead and he calls things that are not. Man, God calls the life. Yes, our own life he brings us out of death. But I think it's more than that, right? He brings life to dead relationships. He can bring life to dead communities. It's about bringing life to a dead world by us seeing each other and being better together than separate. The kingdom of God's about us, not just you. And that's a powerful reality because living together is what the kingdom of God is all about. So, so I wanna go back to how I started. I want you to think about this statement again that I said I hope becomes a little bit clearer that being part of the family of God, being a recipient of the blessing of God is about simple belief, not hard work. It's about simple belief, not hard work. Belief in what? because it's about trusting, belief and trusting, faith and trusting kind of go hand in hand, because it's about trusting in a promise made by God, a covenant, a one-sided promise. I will bless all people through your seed, Jesus. And I hope and pray that this might help some of you not only see yourself as more part of the family, no matter how much you feel outside of it, you know, that through Christ, you're, you're part of the family. Hope it helps you see that, that you don't have to feel like I did in high school when it, said, when it means coming to church or coming to God in prayer or whatever. But also that it would help us that feel so in <laughs> to begin looking around us and seeing that differently. Begin to see others differently. To begin to not be as much like, yeah, they're on my lid, checking it twice, gonna find out. Hey, we're, we're like Santa, all these people, you know? And to begin to see people as loved and accepted by God, and maybe they just don't know it yet, right? And I could show it to them. 
that begins to be a community. That's, that's Jesus' whole message, a, a, new, a new law I give, right? A new command, love others. That's it, sums it all up. Love others if I have loved you. And see this mercy, love, and you know, grace just flow and justice and, and the cause of Christ. That's what it's about. And we're gonna, so cool, we're gonna close our time together with communion. So if you, didn't, if you didn't get communion, raise your hand. If you didn't pick it up on the way in, we've got a couple of people over here. Anyone over here? Everyone got communion? You know, got communion? And there's some people in here might even say, think like, man, I don't deserve to do communion. You know, hey, let's talk about that for a second, right? Let's talk before we take it. I want, I want us to think through some things as we close our time with communion. I want us to consider a couple things. First, I want us to consider how blessed we are to have come into the understanding of this promise by God that we are accepted, loved, and forgiven through Jesus. How cool is that? Just to be in awe of that reality, just to be grateful that we have come to this understanding. Even if it might be a struggle for you walking it or it's super easy or whatever, that, that you just recognize that. Look what he says, he appeals. He talks about what David said in Romans 4, 2. And I love this in Romans 4, 7. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Ah, blessed are those. We are those. You are those. And we get to sit there and yeah, we've come to that understanding. We've come to that Awareness that our sins are forgiven. How cool. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. I just want to tell you, in Christ, your sin will never be counted against you. You don't have to live consumed by guilt and shame. Man, guilt and shame drives us either to darkness. Guilt and shame can drive us more over to the hedonistic side or guilt and shame can drive us over to the legalistic side, right? If we let it consume us. We can get to the point where I'm like going, I got to be perfect or else, you know, or I could be like, forget it. I'm done trying. Ah, uh, that's where we come into this place of just trusting and finding rest for our souls as Jesus invites us to. So I want you to think, man, when we're taking this communion, just being grateful, just letting it be a sigh of relief that so many of us need. Romans 4, verse 25, he was delivered over to death. This is how he ends the chapter for our sins. He was given over to like this Roman empire. This, he was given over to the Roman hedonists and the Jewish legalists. And they beat him to death and they nailed him to a cross. And they celebrated as sin was being taken on, the violence, the rejection, the hatred. And why he was there, why he was there on that cross. And you all were mocking him and you were all nailing him up there. He said, what? Forgive them for they know not what they're doing. If there's any things of the words of Jesus, what we take communion today, make us go like, whatever it is you have done, I think Jesus would look at you and say, yeah, Father, forgive them too, because they don't know what they're doing, amen? Any of you just sometimes don't know what the heck you're doing? <laughs> yeah, I saw someone almost raise their hand and said, nope, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, we all, right, we get it. Then he looks at the person next to him and goes, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's finished. 
He did that so he can empathize with our weaknesses. You want to know what God thinks about you through Christ? He empathizes with your weaknesses. He doesn't say, what the heck's your problem? He empathizes. He understands. He was tempted in every way so he can empathize. So he can say, come to me and let me give you rest and hope and peace. That's what this is about. That's what it's about. So maybe you're one that just needs to come. You just need to come for the first time, maybe in a long time, or maybe you're the first time in your life. And maybe today you're going, oh man, I believe that I'm forgiven. I believe that I'm accepted by God through Christ. I believe I just never expressed that before. Hey, one of the greatest ways you can express that is take that bread and take that cup and do it in remembrance of him and say like, yes, I believe. I trust that you justify the ungodly. That's me. No promises. Don't make any promises. Just trust in his promise, man. We try to make too many promises. No promises today. Just trusting in the promise made so many years ago, shown through Jesus and still alive by the spirit in our lives today. So that's the first step. For second step is that through Christ, we're now part of a family, a community, the body of Christ. For some of us, we need to kind of have our eyes go outside of ourselves a little and kind of go, oh yeah, it's us. It's us. So as you're taking this, this, the body, the life, the spirit of God unifies us as a community, as a family, a lot more than you think. Even that person you don't like. <laughs> Even those people you don't like, whatever it is. Whoever it is y'all don't like, whoever it is y'all don't like, right? May we be reminded and may we ask God today as we take communion and say, man, help me to see this unifying, better together reality that comes through being children of this promise because I'm part of the all people and so are they. It's we, it's about us. So as we take that, may we think about that as well. So when Jesus took, if you've opened that up, I don't have mine, if you open that up and you, and you have the bread, when Jesus took the bread, he said, this is my body broken, broken for you. Oh, thank you. No, do you have one? Oh, yeah, this is my body broken for you. And you know, when you think about that idea, man, it was broken to empathize. It was broken so that we might know that he loves us. It was broken to help us see God. Remember, Chris has said something last week I thought was amazing. God came to change our minds about him, not his mind about us. He made a promise about us thousands of years ago. What Jesus came to do is to help us to see God. And so as he was broken, do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and let's take the bread. And then he lifted the cup. He says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed. It's aligning us with the heart of God as we take this. We're saying like, yeah, it aligns us with the very heart of God. Do this in remembrance of me. As a matter of fact, what Jesus said, there was a time when Jesus challenged and said like, don't take this in an unworthy manner. You know what he is talking about? Don't take this if you're not unified. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. There's people starving and you're overeating. You're not caring for each other. It's not about like, are you perfect or not? That has nothing to do with it. It's about we take this in our worthy manner to help us to see through this bread and through this cup, the unification of us together, better together than we can ever be apart. It's about us. So Jesus' blood was shed to give, it, give us an idea of us. So take that in remembrance of that. Next week, we're gonna do baptisms after this service. 
If you've never expressed your faith in the baptism water, when we get to Romans chapter six, we'll be talking about the powerful identity we have in his death and resurrection. Next week, if you've never expressed your faith, maybe today you've taken communion for the first time and you're like, I believe this. I believe I'm forgiven. I trust that God pardons and justifies me, the ungodly. I'm just, I'm in that. Maybe next week, come back. And after this service at noon, we'll baptize you. And that'd be a lot. That'd be an amazing day. Come and celebrate with us, you know. If you need prayer today and you just need to like have someone to talk to, to just journey with, maybe you're going through difficulties or maybe you're just trying to come to this understanding and freedom of just trusting instead of trying. You spent your whole life trying, 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 trying. You just don't feel like you're trying enough and you're ready to let go of that a little. We'll have some elders over here and some deacons at the prayer corner. If you wanna go over there and prayer, pray, uh, you can go over there and, and let them know what's going on and we'd love to pray for you. And uh, man, I hope that this has opened your eyes a little to some of the beautiful things. That's that what this Bible's all about. It's about together, it's about freedom, it's about life. And that's what Jesus came to show us. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just Romans 4, for this whole book. Help it to not only just help us to see ourselves differently, to be freed from the burden of work and, and needing to earn and jumping through hoops, be freed from that. But may we be freed from looking at others in that way as well. May we be better together because we are children of the promise. May that help us not just love each other here in this room, but the world around us in a way that would put on display your love for them. Ah, may this chapter just radically transform our lives. In Jesus' name. 